Hello and welcome to Freeball, the volleyball podcast. Welcome once again. We're still going. How are you? Oh, really well, mate, actually. How about yourself? Busy? Yeah, good. Yeah, that's it, always. The podcast is keeping us very busy. It's uh, it's managed to fill in every bit of spare time I've got. Yeah, me too. And if we're not like being, like actually talking about it, we're WhatsApping and trying yeah. to figure out social media. But it's going really well, huh? It is good. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. And uh, how was your week? Yeah, not too bad. We've got uh, a couple of weeks left until I get a week off, so I'm just counting down now. Yeah. Which is good. Half time. Yeah, that's it. It's a dream. Now, have you got some, uh, some volleyball news for me? Well, we had a look, and for us, the news, it was a bit quiet, but we've been quiet on the beachfront as well. So, I want to give a massive free ball props, accomplishment, gold medal to Ricardo Santos from Brazil because at 44 years old he beat Bruno Pedro last week in a Brazilian tour event and that's phenomenal that's massive he's the second most decorated player in male beach volleyball history who's the first? Emmanuel his ex-partner yeah but to still be going out and crushing it at 44 with Alvaro and beating Pedro Bruno who are not in the best form but Bruno's Olympic gold medalist yeah and he's still jeez there can't be many Many sports that you can be competing at this level at 44. No. Like, like physically active sport. Like, you know, you could still be like an archer or something. But to be, like beach volleyball is so physically demanding. And do you know what I love about Ricardo, like watching him play, is that like he still stands, well, he now stands on the floor and serves, just plants it over. He runs straight in in a straight line to block. And he has great vision and his arms yeah. are massive and his hands are massive. And he still bumps sets in a time where everybody else is hand-setting and playing quicker and he still has this really slow movement of the ball. It's really, it's really funny to watch. Well, and he obviously still got it. Yeah, he's smashing Never it. lost it. But yeah, like, that's putting more pressure on Bruno Pedro. We're hoping that we can get Bruno on the show at some point, which would be awesome. And we've also just been recording some really great guests as well. Yeah, we? so look out for the next few weeks because we've got some amazing shows coming out. And just can't believe how many great guests we're having and what great people they are as well. Yeah. And we're getting lots of good feedback from, from the listeners and from the player, like the people who we're interviewing. Um, some of them really happy with the, some of the issues we're discussing. We were specifically talked to by Lonica Sloches about the way that we talked about the burnout with the busy seasons, and she was really happy we brought that up because she thinks it's a really crucial issue at the moment. Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? Just Not just physically, like, for injuries, but just mentally, like, motivation seems to go, and it's just all around... The, the calendar's crazy at the minute and I think that's what's uh, that's what's hurting them but we'll see what happens in yeah time. so who's our guest today our guest today is a phenomenal coach who's still just in his early 30s but already has been the assistant coach to Lang Ping who obviously Olympic gold medalist as a coach and a player the only person to do that the Chinese coach um, but also is the head coach of Bucharest, was the assistant coach to Japan, to name a few. And actually, Ferhat Akbas, our guest, decided to leave Japan as their assistant coach just 18 months before an Olympic Games, which is a big call. It's a huge decision. It's a big, big call. And so, that's why we, we, we had to get him in. And obviously, we, we talk about that as one of the main things that we're discussing and talk about his decision and why he made that and what he why he thought that was the right choice. Yeah, it's a great 
great interview and hopefully one that you'll enjoy from we've had a few players and we've obviously had a coach before but this is another interview from the coach's perspective of volleyball which hopefully freeball is all about just different views different people Ferhat Akbas ladies and gentlemen enjoy enjoy hey Ferhat how are you doing fine you good to see you good to everything see is you fine. everything is great we haven't seen you for a while I haven't seen you since Japan for the world championships as usually it's a very very busy time uh, after Japan is the same you know I'm in club and the uh, world championship was a very nice tournament it was good uh, it was very good memory now we are all busy as usual club team and uh, working on our team yeah, it's, it's been a busy time hasn't it for you to to be in Romania to Japan and then back yeah back to Romania is it, is very busy yeah, actually I'm from Turkey and uh, this whole year I go to Turkey I think total five days. So wow. I was always in Japan, in Romania, Japan, Romania, so I couldn't see nobody from Turkey almost. So I will go tomorrow because we have a Champions League game with my Romanian team and uh, we will play with Fenerbahce. Yeah. So we will fly tomorrow to Turkey. I am like, I will, I feel like I am a guest in Turkey. <laughs> it's, it's crazy how do you how have you found that as a you spent lots of time in asia and stuff but that's yeah how do you feel living in romania or when you were previously living in japan do you, do you feel at home uh it's it feels really very different because uh, romanian people culture and japanese people culture is totally different yeah, so yeah, uh, when i go there i'm trying to adapt their life in japan when i was coming back to romania i was trying to be uh, kind of Romanian is not so easy to adapt because these two countries are totally different in here uh, In Romania people are very emotional. They get angry. They get they get sad They get like I don't know any kind of emotions goes up and down very quick In Japan even if it's like this they don't show nothing Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to find a balance in between two countries and I could do it. It was fine. How uh, how are you've obviously got four Japanese players playing for you this year. How have they adapted to Romania? Yeah, this was also a big question mark in my mind too, uh, because uh, these players, uh, two of them, they played first time abroad out of Japan, and uh, there is a big language barrier between the other players. They don't know English or any other language. Uh, but I trusted their game because they are very high level players uh, and they know my system. I like I like a lot quick game and they are very adaptable and we did a great job in Japan. So uh, I risk it. And when I see here in Romania, it's very positively strange that uh, they could adapt very quick. Uh, I can say that they are even playing better than summertime. It's, they are very good. Oh, very happy. I'm very happy with their performance. Now, you've been coaching since you were 19. Um, did you play before you started coaching? That seems, yeah, of course. That seems so young to start coaching. Yeah, of course. I was playing. I started playing like when I was junior, like 10, 11 years old. But uh, I was feeling when I was 18, 17, I was feeling like I will not be a great player, like top-level player, because it's not possible. Uh, and I decided to quit. And at the same time, I decided to stay in the volleyball 
life, you know, as a game, not like something special. I was not thinking that I will be a coach in the future. I just started to have fun and then everything starts to get much more serious, actually. But Ferhat, you're still 32. Yeah. Correct? And you've still done yeah. more in that 11 years than lots of coaches do in their lifetime. Like, what, what's, How did you fall into the elite level coaching so quickly? Uh, how can I say, it's, in this world everybody says this, I work a lot, yeah. but I can say that too, I worked a lot, at the same time I was at some moments lucky and I tried to use my luck in a good way, uh, for example I had a great luck to work at the same time, at the same gym, at the same team uh, with Lang Pink or very other great coaches like Massimo Barbolini, like Giovanni Guidetti, like Belko Vasic, many different coaches. And I could uh, see what they are doing good, what they are doing bad. So I could try, I try to use that uh, experience. I try to learn a lot from them. So maybe this was my luck, I can say. Yeah, but luck only works if you're working hard as well. And also that like you have the ability, you know, like it's one thing being around these really good coaches and then the other thing to actually be able to learn from them and take like take what you're seeing and hearing and use that in a positive way and make your own your own style and technique from that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sometimes like uh, I feel like the learning process of a coach of course needs to be uh, needs to see the things that the other coaches are doing good or the teams that are doing good but at the same time in my opinion more important thing is to see what the other coaches are doing bad so i was always like this ah this coach is not doing good in my opinion and i was trying to not to make it by myself in the mm. practices in the games so uh, I focused on that part much more. That's that's really interesting, and I really the reason why I spoke to you in Japan is because I I covered lots of Japan throughout, and I'm uh, firstly before a commentator, I was a coach, and I had a great respect for what you were doing and how you were interacting with with Japan. Um, so yeah, firstly, great job. It's great to watch you and, and obviously see you on the TV. Mm -hmm. um, how big a mentor? You mentioned um, Lang Ping. How big a mentor was she? Uh, it's very. She has a very strange approach to the players. Maybe she has this uh, kind of special, good approach to the players, better than the other coaches because she's a female. She's a woman, and uh, she came from the way that actually she wants from her players because she was. A champion she was a leader so she could make that pass to her coaching career too uh, in this world in high level top level volleyball in my opinion I watch many practices everything like many uh, innovations but still the most important thing is good communication right communication with the players and directing directing them to right ways uh, Jenny Langping is specialist about that. So she has really great connection and great feeling about the players. So she watches 
the game better than other coaches in my opinion so she can see the whole picture better than other coaches yeah do you, do you think um sorry for our listeners for our listeners jenny lang pin is the only player to uh, sorry or coach to have won a gold medal as a player and a coach in the sport so she's she's a special lady and do you think that china will grow again for the olympics still favorites although they only took a bronze in the world championships uh, now world championship finished so i can't talk much more um, my opinions about that because the result is very clear yeah. before the be, before the tournament in my mind it was very clear that china was the favorite uh, so they couldn't make it they couldn't win the gold but for the next olympics in my opinion the biggest favorite is again china it's not just because of this generation uh, it's because there are many players in china that can come to high level volleyball very quick so when you have many options to choose it is very hard to make a bad team so they have a good coach they have many talents they can create another team next season like you you don't see any of these players and they create a new team and this team also will play for the goals because they have that much players i worked in china two years and i was like shocked that uh, each city is a volleyball kind of volleyball country not city it's huge. Yeah, wow. So I'm still thinking that China is one of the biggest favorites of next Olympic again. That that's amazing. And well, let's talk about Japan. Yeah. Um. So so tell us how you ended up coaching in Japan. Yeah, I try to explain this, and I still <laughs> has the same kind of questions. It's very important to uh, clear this because. Uh, we were talking with Japan about the process of coaching until Olympics for long times. And we had that discussion that they wanted JVA, like Japanese Federation, they wanted me to be there always, like full-time work. So it means that I need to quit everything in Europe or mm -hmm. in any other country. I cannot work in a club team. So Olympics is top of the world i mean the best tournament of this world but it is in the end like kind of 10 days tournament and until that tournament there are 16 months i'm 32 years old coach i can understand their point of view but from my point of view uh, it's kind of a job that uh, much more elder coaches should accept if i was 65 years old it was the best offer to stay in Tokyo 16 months, waiting for Olympics, trying to improve the team uh, and taking no risk. But in my opinion, in my age at 32, the best thing is to risk. Can be bad, can be good, but this is the right way because I don't want to stop there watching the games because coaching is like playing. If you are not on the court that moment, you are getting slow. When you are on the court, you are better. When you play the games like players, uh, you are getting better. So, in my opinion, experience on the court is much more better than watching the games out outside. Interesting. Interesting. That's, that's incredible. Because there's so many people that would just see the outcome of being at the Olympics as being so special. 
they would forget exactly. they would forget about the process themselves of of be of improving and and trying to be the best person that you can be which is obviously what you're trying to be 100% i agree that's why i decided this maybe more than 3 months i was thinking about that because olympics is my dream like and to be in japan as a turkish guy in japanese volleyball team as a post in olympics and to uh, try to chase medals is something incredible for me. It will never happen, happen again, but uh, sometimes to be professional, to say no, uh, is always better, in my opinion. So and let's see what the future will bring. Well, that's it. You're so young that, you know, and, and because, because as a coach, obviously you can do it a lot longer than a player, you've got potentially, you know, 40 more years of coaching that, you know, I'm sure you'll get another chance to be coaching an Olympic team again, you know. Have you, have you had any offers since you stopped? Is there any other nationalities that come knocking on Furha at Bass's door? Yeah, I have two offers. Uh, it's good to not to tell the countries, but I have <laughs> offers from uh, two national teams I'm considering and thinking about it. So. As a head or as assistant? Of course, head coach. I uh, I was assistant coach in Japan in a special case, uh, but I'm head coach for kind of five years. Uh, I will not assist. Uh, I will not. Were those were those offers to coach for the like for the run up to the Olympics then? Why not? Wow, yeah. that's brilliant. Get it out of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep trying. Um, we we yeah. It was a strange one, that, that Japan, because uh, obviously Nakada was the first uh, or is the first ever Japanese uh, female head coach of a national team. Um, yeah. But obviously your experience must have helped her out immensely as well. So you can see that you were doing quite a lot of the team talks and you were very involved uh, in the day to day running of that team. Is that is that fair enough? Uh, yeah, I can say that because their system is a little bit different when I go over there first time. Actually, I was not expecting that much, but uh, also men team, Japanese men team has the same style now, uh, currently, because there's a French coach uh, on the paper like second, and a first Japanese coach, and they are making quite the same system. Uh, it is. It was, for me, a very nice system because I can make any, any kind of decision. I was much more free and when you sit and watch the game, sometimes it's better to see uh, some details. It's easier. Yeah, so it was, it was a positive way of working. A little bit different. I did it first time in my life, but it was good experience. It's always fun to watch Japan play as well because it's exciting to watch them play because they dig so many balls. So you could, you're never bored as a Japan coach, surely. Yeah, Japanese players are special for me. I mean, uh, I work with uh, very different kind of players with from very, very different kind of nationalities, but Japanese are special. Uh, they are incredible. They are incredible. I hope they can find some uh, very tall players in the future, <laughs> so they can beat yeah. in another level. So, well, it's good. It seems like you you did a fantastic job out there, especially seeing 
so many of the so many of them come back to your club team. They obviously really like working with you and like the way that you coach. Yes, my in the beginning when I was there, it was a little bit different for them, in my opinion, because they have a routine. That routine comes from their child childhood, and they always grow with grow up with the same routine. And in these two years, what I saw that almost all the coaches are working quite the same style. Like, like so, the, the YouTube channel. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like exactly. So uh, when I go there, like I changed a lot of things. In the beginning, in my opinion, it was difficult for them because uh, it was totally out of their uh, habits. But after when they get used to work with me, they are very satisfied from what I see. Of course, you need to ask to them. But from what I see, they look like they are happy. And now your, cl your club team must be playing really fast because you obviously have four Japanese players, but you also have Maret Bolkestein Grothaus, the left-hander, and she likes the quick ball too. She loves yeah, going, going so early. And how are the Dutchies so doing? Uh, I wish all the spectators can watch CSME Bucharest, our Romanian team games in Champions League. Uh, we play a lot fast, we play with many combinations, and we play a defensive game in Europe that is not so usual to see. So it is interesting. So we play the game with police, chemical police in Poland, and we play the game with Moscow. Both were very exciting to watch and interesting to watch. I was very satisfied. That's brilliant. So how, how is your club team doing? Uh, so far, we, uh, we played the first game in the second half. We are at second position with a very small difference. Uh, we, are, we are fighting for championship as last season. I think we can achieve this goal. In my opinion, we will win the championship, I hope. In Champions League, our target is just qualifying from the group because our group is very tough. We have Fenerbahce, Dinamo Moscow and Tomipoli. Uh, let's see what happens. We have one win, one lose in Champions League. It will be our third game. Yeah. You have Fenerbahce on Wednesday. Um, yeah. How do you deal with... Um, they have young Melissa Vargas playing for them, right? Yeah. yeah she's, she's special. She's a lot special. I think uh, volleyball spectators, volleyball people, volleyball family will watch her for many years. Uh, they will talk about her many years because she's she has special talent, special power, I'm and she she has courage and she has courage. In that age, that courage is something special. A bit of Cuban, a bit of Cuban courage. Exactly. Okay. I think she has no fear. Yeah. About nothing, so she yeah. has power. This girl at 14 was Cuban's top, Cuba's top scorer in the World Jeez. Championships. 14. <laughs> 14 years old. Yeah. yeah, I was yeah. commentating on her and I was just like, what, what am I watching? <laughs> I was like, well, what is, this is not allowed. Yeah, she's... Now she adds a lot of power to her game because she's getting much more experience and much more age. I think in two, three years, she will be one of the best in the world. She's great. Are you looking forward to coaching against uh, the Serbian coach? Yeah, Zoran Tadic, we will play against him. He is a very good coach, very good person, and he is the world champion. So 
I will be honored to play against him. For sure. Sure. It'll be tough. Yeah. How do you how do you find like playing in the in the club championship and in Champions League? Does it like how do you okay. sort of balance with the players? Didn't play club championship. Oh no, sorry, sorry. Your like your club yeah, competition. I yeah, I got it. I got it. Uh, so it's a very good question for coaches because we have fourteen players. We have actually three tournaments: cup, national cup, national championship, and uh, Champions League. Jeez. So. So, in my opinion, to make this balance is not so easy. If you want to make that balance, you need to make set up your team good in the beginning of the season. So, I try to combine my national league with almost all the players. But when I go to Champions League, I try to play with my top six, let's say. Like, not top six, but top six. Uh, because if you don't balance this, then there will be very unhappy players on the bench that just watches. Uh, so, on the other hand, you cannot risk all the games. So, it's very a hard issue to arrange. Very tough. Yeah, well, I guess it's, it's, yeah, it's finding that balance. And we see it even in, like, in our competition. Obviously, we're playing in a social competition, but you still want to have that balance of giving everybody time but also putting your best team forward. But I guess you have to think of the whole season and go, well, if I can give this person more time, then they're going to develop and they might be a more useful player later on. And like, and it's, you know, it's your whole, your whole focus is trying to think about that whole season. Yeah. Uh, for example, when I set up my team, I put two liberos and two setters from Japan. So, when they need to play against each other, they will be from same country. They will be the best friends. Mm. So now they are the best friends, and when they play, when one of them plays, the other one supports. When the other one plays, the other one supports. So this is very important because in the teams, when a player plays, the other one wants to play, and they don't have good connection. So it's very important to know the connection between the players too, how they react. Uh, which things make them happy. So it's very difficult issue, especially at women team, in my opinion. Men team should be much more easier. I'm not sure, but men team should be much more easier about that. <laughs> are, you saying, are you saying that women are complicated, Farhad? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the first person that yeah, that's, I, I coach coach women too, and sometimes yeah, I find I, I can find the same. They're good, yeah, yeah. beautiful, but in different different ways. Yeah, that's, let's say that men's are much more direct, so you can you know what's going on. Sometimes with ladies, it's very hard to know what's happening. You need to watch better sometimes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I agree too. Talk. Talk to us about your, um, you have a role for the CEV, am I correct? Yeah. What, what's your role for the CEV? Uh, we have a coaches commission, so uh, it, the member, I think we have six or seven num uh, members I need to count, I'm not sure now. So these all coaches, uh, our job is giving some ideas about, from the point of view of coaches, to CEV about the competitions, about the game, about 
junior level education, senior level competition. It can be any kind of title, but we are trying to create some ideas and try to give these ideas to CEV uh, board and administration so they can uh, use these ideas. And it's, I think, very useful in my opinion. Have you had have you had anything changed or anything put in place because of uh, ideas you put forward? Uh, as I told, these are the ideas that we are giving. So, so we don't have the responsibility or power to change things, but we have responsible responsibility to give the ideas. Uh, on the last meeting that we had, our discussion was mostly about Champions League, European Champions League format, because. Uh, the games are finishing like kind of uh, very clear results, three zeros. There are many three zero results, and uh, of course they want much more spectators in the games or on the TV. Uh, so they are asking the coaches how we can do it better. Mm. What do you think about the format, the dates? Uh, can be about anything. So we are trying to create uh, something that can be fixed in the future in better way how how do you think how do you think that happens how do you think we get more viewers and how do you think we get more people watching the game this is my personal opinion uh, like uh, i this is not uh, like a responsible i am telling by myself as a volleyball fan mm. in my opinion there are very clear examples in the world about sports we don't need to create or explore the world from the we don't need to find something new. Football Champions League is very clear, right? I was a kid, the rules were the same. Like I'm 32 years old coach, the rules are the same. People are still watching Champions League football games like crazy, especially in your country, right? Yeah. yeah. So the reason is we are trying to, in my opinion, in Europe, we are trying to uh, make all the countries involved to this competition like as much as possible but the main thing is we need to put the most strong clubs to this competition so uh, if you like football are you bored to watch Barcelona, Manchester United, Real Madrid each season you want to see another team next season I don't think so because they are the best. So their competition is the best competition. Uh, basketball, Euroleague, they changed it also. They are making a classic league format, but the best members of the European teams are playing this. So they don't need to find big countries and they don't need to make them involved. It's not the way because you are watching a game that you know the result. Uh, so I think the best clubs needs to play this tournament with better dates. The schedule is a big problem because FIVB International Calendar and uh, Club Calendar is very complicated. Yeah, we, it's too much. We spoke about that actually when we were introducing uh, another show and we spoke about how this year it's V&L, you have European Championships, Olympic Qualifiers and World Cup. So I'm telling you, I am a player. Imagine that I am a player that plays Champions League final. 
I will play my Champions League final game. It means the highlight of the season. I'm working for it. Champions League final, I will play in, if I'm not wrong, 15 May, right? I need to check. No, just a second. It's on my calendar. <laughs> yeah. Champions League final game is 18 May. 18 May. The highlight of the club season in Europe. And 21st, Vienna starts. <laughs> That's crazy. And, and probably I'm in another continent. I'm not even in the same country or something. I, I will fly maybe 20 hours to play another game in very high level. So I don't think that it is something possible. It's not possible. I... I also saw today, which is um, fascinating, that the European Championships finish on something like the 28th of September, and then the World Cup in Japan starts on the 2nd of October. Yes. So, uh, it is very hard to understand sometimes that much uh, competition is good to watch or maybe it puts the level down yeah because like if you much more interesting again i will give the same example from football you watch world cup four years one time you watch let's say european championship in two years and that's all you don't you don't see any other like that tournament this tournament that tournament of course we are not professional uh, there should be much more volleyball games than football games or basketball games. I know that, but uh, maybe this is too much for the players. Yeah. Definitely, this this year especially seems like, and I think it like the saturation means it dilutes it all, and then you're not you're not that excited to see two big countries play because you've seen them play three times already. Yeah, and on the other hand, uh, as a coach, when you play BNL. If the player is very tired, you cannot call her to play immediately. So you need to give a break. Mm. So that player will not participate maybe two weeks of Vienna. Then after comes another uh, group of tournament, you call another player in another week. So actually you are not competing with your team. You are competing with the players of a uh, pool of players that are tired they are managing their recoveries blah 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 it's difficult yeah and i guess you it means you also have to like with so many competitions you have to prioritize which one is going to be the biggest size which one you know obviously olympic qualifiers are so important so do you then sacrifice your performance in vnl to make sure the players are ready for the olympics uh, in my opinion uh, especially this this summer many teams can make the sacrifice. It's very possible. I see that very possible. You know, this uh, this kind of decisions federations take by themselves. So they can say, okay, this season Vienna is not important. Let's focus on Olympic qualification. So in this case, maybe quality can go down. But this is, as I told, the individual decision of the federations and the coaches. It's, it's funny at the World Champs. Um, the teams that did well in VNL didn't do quite so well at the World Championships as well. When you look at exactly. periodization exactly. and peaking and all of that stuff that's so important. But that, that doesn't help for, for 
watching good volleyball then either. You know, if you've got if, if everybody's sort of sacrificing different tournaments, then each each competition, one of the teams is going to be less strong because they're preparing for something else, yeah. which means people aren't going to enjoy watching it as or, much. Or you develop your substitutes and they, they become stronger as well. And one more thing, for example, uh, you are a, imagine that you are a simple spectator that doesn't know volleyball much. So you don't know who is the main player of that national team, who is the B team player, who is, if they are competing for the target or not. You just open a game and you don't know what's going on. And you see a very big team, actually they are very strong, but not that moment. Yeah. So it's difficult to... Or, or you want to go and see, or you want to go and see Zhu Ting play, and Zhu Ting isn't playing. That, yeah. That's that's a, that's another problem. That's, yeah, it can be on the other side if you know a lot yeah. about it and you know who you're going to see. <coughs> yes, that's so, We had a good conversation uh, with Lonica Sloches about that. Lonica Sloches was just saying, Champions League final for Vakith Bank, straight to VNL for her was too much. Uh, for example, that because she played also World Championship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without break, she go to Turkey and started to season. So, uh, these these are human. They are not superheroes. Yeah. What's um, so, I, I, again, what one thing I find really intriguing about you, get back to coaching, is that you spent so much time in every culture. How is the training methods? You touched on it earlier. How does the the training methods compare in China, to Japan, to Romania to Turkey to obviously Brazil and, and wherever it must be fascinating for you to see so many countries Yeah, uh, if I need to start from China China the amount and the The length of the practice is very big. So they practice like three and a half hour four hours sometimes but the intensity is a really small one for example if they need to take a timeout it takes five minutes they enjoy, they talk, then I, then after they start, the intensity is very low. Uh, they mostly work teamwork, They're working on team. When you go to Japan, Japanese practice includes mostly individual practice. It, like a player needs to work her routine by herself alone. So let's say that a practice we start at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You see all the players on the court, like one o'clock, one and a half, something like this, and working by themselves, their own routine. After then, they start to their practice. So, uh, intensity of the practice, I can say much more than China in Japan. Uh, but power practices are less. So, uh, in Europe, when you come to Europe, almost all the countries, power practices are important, team practices are important, the practices are intense and shorter, because uh, European players, they don't have that much focus uh, to stay on the court, three hours, four hours, they will get bored, you cannot get enough efficiency from that work, you need to keep the practices shorter. I'm trying my best about that. <laughs> yeah, and it's also difficult for a coach to do that sometimes because you have so much you want to work on and so much to practice. Yeah, that's why I make some group practices. Sometimes some of the players work their own uh, routine. Sometimes 
I give them some group work, so I try to combine. Uh, I don't keep the same work always because if we give, keep the same work, it's not, it was 20 years before, no. Not my style. I'm changing always. So we um we have a little uh, segment that we've asked all of our guests to give us a dream seven lineup. So if you could pick players from anywhere in the world, from any generation, to make your absolute dream seven, who would be on that team? From left side, zone four, for sure we'd be shooting, and Kim Yong Kong. Oh, you like, go for Kim. Yeah, from left side, that's for sure. So Kim and Ting, you go for height and physicality? Yeah, for sure, and they pass good. They are actually good defenders, not bad defenders. They have good blocking and they have leadership. So Kim Yong Kong and shooting from left side. Uh, for middle, I will put Milena Vasic from Serbia. Uh, and Maya Poljak, now she quit from Croatia. She was a legend. Very good player. Uh, these are two middles. Sure. As said, for sure, I remember also my Super 7 was the same. Feng Kun from China. She made Olympics, I think, three times. She, I'm not sure, but she's, I could work with her in her last season in China. She's the best setter I see in my life. Wow. Feng is the best setter I can clearly see. Opposite. I, I think I am changing. Now I will tell Boskovic. After World Championship, I can say Boskovic, right? Wait. She, 100%. she played great. Great. Uh, libero position. I still keep my Japanese Libero Kotoe. Inoue Kotoe. Still in Japanese team. She's the best Libero I've ever seen. I have ever worked. I suggest to spectators to watch her alive. It's not something normal. So, Inoue Koto is a special libero. I can select her. And that's all right. I yeah, choose good position. Good how, choice. How much money do you think that team would cost? Uh, nobody will hire me. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot it's of very expensive team. Yeah. yeah, it's a very expensive team. But it's, it's, a, it's a great team. And I, I think, once again, compared to other Dream 7s, what I look at when I see this is that you're you have a very cultured and experienced dream seven you haven't gone from one generation you've gone to multiple different countries and multiple different generations which means you're like you're a true student of the game which is great uh, I don't know this I don't know but this team is strong I can say this team plays good I'm sure and you'd be able to coach them of course actually they don't need a coach <laughs> they, are, they are good enough and as I told, they are all are good leaders. Yeah, all are good yeah. leaders. Thank you so much for your time, um, and we hope to hopefully catch you at the end of the season. Maybe we can do another interview throughout the summer to see how you're getting getting on, and just catch up when you um, sign a new contract to be head coach of uh, Brazil or <laughs> the USA or Russia or no secrets. Let's the future maybe very far future. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> But, but yeah, we would love to just see how you're doing in six months and, and catch up again because it's been great to speak to you. That was brilliant. Yeah, Ferhat's a man, isn't he? Yeah. Like, what a what a what an interesting career he's had as well. Yeah, he's traveling the world and he's he's got to make big decisions based on massive. Yeah, it's jobs. tough. He's he's got two jobs. Yeah. He says, but who do you reckon they are? Don't know. It's hard to pick. Could be anyone though. 
that's the thing yeah there's so many jobs and so it's just going to be from my perspective like following his career because it's going to be really interesting to see where the world takes him yeah. it seems like he has the world at his feet well he's he's young he's successful he's knows what he's talking about so yeah. he can do whatever he wants speaks highly of uh, Jenny Langping as well which yeah. is obviously I don't think there's anybody in the world of volleyball that doesn't um, but I'm, I'm really what a great guy yeah I'm interested to see yeah what, what his career sort of what happens next yeah but that was Ferha Agbas and that's another episode of Freeball the volleyball podcast make sure you are listening to all of our episodes make sure you're liking them on iTunes commenting tell us tell us anything you'd like us to do on the show or anyone we could try to get on for the show yeah do you like our dream sevens do you, do you uh, want to have your own dream seven what we might start doing soon is if you send us your dream sevens we might start sending them out and putting your name on that post as well so make sure you stay in touch with us at Freeball the Volleyball Podcast on Instagram and please keep supporting the cause because we want it to be epic thank you see you next time